Tonight I'm going to be speaking from the book of Isaiah, and uh, uh, you're welcome to turn there if you wanted to, but I'm going to have the words up on the screen here, and you can follow along with the text as I read it. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. On July 22, 2013, a child was born who would be king. And for months, the press had followed the pregnancy of Princess Kate and Prince William. And when the time came for her birth, it was announced all over the world. He was given the name George Alexander Lewis. You probably recognize this, this picture as it was released by the British Royal Press. He is the Prince of Cambridge, and he is heir to the throne of England. When you add on his last name, which is Mountbatten Windsor, that's quite a long title. George Alexander Lewis, the Prince of Cambridge of the family of Mountbatten Windsor. But this was no ordinary child. This is a child who, Lord willing, one day would be the king of England. I chuckled when I read the account of his birth, too, because the press said he would be known by a shorter name as His Royal Highness Prince George of Cambridge. Well, 2,000 years ago, another child was born who would be a king, and he is the reason we meet today. His birth has been so significant in world history, it stands at the center of the way that we even mark time. It's the dividing line between those years before Christ and the years after our Lord. For centuries, the prophets had foretold his coming. You can read uh, hundreds of those comments and remarks and prophecies that were made about this one who would be the king of Israel one day. And even though his birth wasn't as closely watched that night as Prince George's was on that day, he has done more to change our world than any other person has. His name is Jesus. And today there are over 2 billion people in our world who would call him Savior. Isaiah lived some 700 years before the birth of Christ. That's what's remarkable about these prophecies that were given so far in advance of Jesus' coming. It's one of the confirmations of Scripture of its authority, 
that this is indeed the word of God. And at the time when Isaiah lived, Assyria was the dominant power in the world. That would be in the area where modern Iraq is. And their capital was Nineveh. Today, that would be Mosul in Iraq. And they were brutal in the way they waged their warfare. And they had devastated Syria, and they had conquered the northern tribes of Israel. It's interesting that they fought over the very same land that is being fought over today in Syria or by ISIS or by coalition forces and others that are trying to prevent this war from spreading any farther. The very same area that was affected here. And what's interesting about this prophecy is that God said that in the very area that was the first to feel the warrior's boots as Assyria came in and overran this land, in that area around the Sea of Galilee and the northern tribes of Israel, this would be the first area to see the great light that God was going to send into our world. The people living in darkness would see this great light, this one who was going to come. And he described it in this way too, uh, you know, that this light would bring great joy to people. It would be like the joy of a farmer when the harvest is abundant. And if any of you have grown up on a farm, you know what that is like when the harvest is good. And it's time to bring in those crops. There is great joy. It would be like the joy of a soldier who is victorious in war and sharing in the spoils of that. It would happen in the area of Galilee by way of the sea. And where did Jesus begin his ministry? In that very same area of Galilee with those disciples that he would call to be the twelve. But what this passage tells us is that God was going to bring about a great victory through this one who would come. And it would be just like the victory that he had won in the days of the judges when Israel had overthrown their enemy of Midian. Midian, he said here, was one of those uh, enemy nations that had oppressed Israel. And just as in the day of Midian's defeat, God was going to throw off this yoke of oppression that they were experiencing. It was interesting, if we go back in the Scripture and read about that account uh, in Midian, what happened in those days is that God raised up a man named Gideon who would be their deliverer and help Israel to achieve victory at that time. And Gideon summoned the people to come and to form an army, and 32,000 men came out. And God said, that's too many. If you guys go into battle, they're going to think that you won this victory by your own strength. We have to whittle that down a little bit. So he cut it down to 10,000, and he said, that's still too many. And they cut it down to 300, and he said, that's perfect. Because then when I give the victory, everyone will know that the Lord has done it, and it was not by man. This time, God would bring about a victory in an even more remarkable way, he would do it through a child, a child who would be born in Israel. And he says, for to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. That this child would not be an ordinary child. He would be a king, and he would reign over Israel. He would be the Messiah, this promised one who was to come. He would reign on David's throne, and his kingdom would never 
end. He would reign with justice and righteousness. This child is Jesus. He is the one who would come and be our king. You know, when I go back to think about the birth of Prince George here in recent days, I'm kind of glad that there is still a monarchy in our world where we can uh, see what that is like and understand something of how that relates to Jesus, who is our king. And when you think about this Prince George that was born, this tiny little child, all of the names that he, were gi- he was given have significance and go back in history. For example, there were uh, six other kings in England's history who were called George. The most recent was Queen Elizabeth's father. If you saw the movie The King's Speech, you know that the family referred to him as Bertie, short for Albert, but his royal title was King George VI. And uh, there were others who have reigned over England who have held that same name. George is also the patron saint of England. Uh, George was an early Christian martyr in that land who helped to bring the gospel to England. And then the name uh, Alexander, well, that refers back to three medieval Scottish kings. And it is also uh, related to the queen's middle name, which is Alexandra. And then Louis, that's the name of a favorite great uncle on the Mountbatten side. He was the last viceroy of India. And so each of those names have significance for this child who was born. But when we look at the names given to Jesus and the titles he has been given in Scripture, there are more than 40 of them. And we could go through them all, but that would take quite a while. But, you know, you can think of those titles that are given to Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Lion of Judah, the one who would come from that line, but he's also the Lamb of God. He's known as our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend. He's called in Revelation the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's just the Hebrew way of expressing the superlative, which means that he is the greatest of kings, the mightiest of kings, and he's the greatest of lords. He's the Lord over every other Lord. He's the ruler of heaven and earth. But tonight I want us to think about these four names that were given by Isaiah. This child who was to be born would be called the Wonderful Counselor. He has all knowledge and all wisdom. Prior to Jesus, the greatest king who ever lived was Solomon. Yet in Matthew's Gospel, we read about Jesus that one greater than Solomon is here. Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No one ever spoke like Jesus. When the people came to hear him teach, they were amazed at his teaching. I mean, he, he spoke with authority, not like their scribes. He, he never had to quote someone else to back up what he was saying. He knew what the Scripture said. He was the author of Scripture. He never said, I think this is what it means, or I suppose this is what it means. He spoke with clarity and power and authority. And the people heard him gladly. And he still speaks today. It is our great blessing that we have been given the Scripture, the Word of God, so we can hear the very words of Jesus that he spoke when he was on this earth.
It is the study of God's word that can bring peace to our heart. D.L. Moody said that in it we find a light for every darkness, we find life and death, we find the promise of our Lord's return and the assurance of everlasting glory. Henry Ward Beecher said the Bible is God's chart for you to steer by, to keep you from the bottom of the sea, to show you where the harbor is and how to reach it without running on the rocks or going aground on the bars. Jesus is that source of wisdom, and he still speaks today. And if you are struggling with questions in your life and you're searching for meaning or answers to the questions you have, the place to find it is in his word by coming to Jesus. He is also called the mighty God. He is all-powerful. Now, this was the name that puzzled the Jewish translators the most. And they wrestled with this question that how could this child who was to be born, this baby that would be born, how could he be the mighty God? I mean, that was just stretching their mind when they thought about it, and we can understand that. We wonder. We wrestle with that same thing in our mind. We understand their difficulty. How could God become a man? Yet that is exactly what the Bible says. And when we believe it and when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, it explains everything about his life and his ministry, that this was no ordinary man. Even Isaiah had pointed to his unusual birth when he said about Jesus that the virgin will be with child. That this child would be born of a virgin, would have a supernatural birth, a supernatural entry into our world. And this child that was born, this son, would be given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not God with us in the sense of, you know, I'm watching over you or I'm present from afar, I'm with you in that way. But God incarnate. God with us in human flesh. That is amazing. That is one of the mysteries that we as believers of Jesus Christ have come to place our trust in, that Jesus Christ is this one who is fully God and fully man who entered into our world for a reason. So often the world looks at Jesus as just a man, as a good moral teacher, a religious leader, or they look at Jesus as that baby who was born in a manger and they'll acknowledge that he was a real person who walked this earth. But they forget that he is so much more, that he is God in human flesh, and there is no one like him. The scripture says he is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. For in him all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. Augustine wrestled with this too and tried to capture the mystery of the incarnation in a poem. And he put it like this. He said, maker of the son, he is made under the son. In the father he remains, and yet from his mother he goes forth. He's the creator of heaven and earth, yet he was born on earth under heaven. He is unspeakably wise, but he is wisely speechless. He fills the world 
and yet he lies in a manger. He's the ruler of the stars, and yet he nurses at his mother's breast. He is both great in the nature of God, and he is small in the form of a servant. He's the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth because of the work that he has done on our behalf. And he has the power to save you, and he has the power to help us in our time of need. Thirdly, he would be called the Everlasting Father. Again, that's another title that we wrestle with. How could Jesus, the Son of God, be also called the Everlasting Father? And I believe the best answer is that it is a metaphor for who Jesus is. It means that he will care for his people like a father, and he will do that for all of eternity. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who came to take upon himself our sins and die in our place. He's the one who defends us. He's the one who is our advocate on high, who represents us before the Father. He's the one whose blood pleads forgiveness for our sins. And Jesus said, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy but I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to experience life to the full. He wants you to know his peace, his joy. He wants you to experience his presence in your heart. He wants you to be able to walk with him each day in fellowship, growing in your relationship with him. He knows your needs. He knows what's going on in your life, and he loves you and he cares about you. And he invites us to come before his throne of grace at any time that we might find grace to help us in our time of need. What a privilege it is to know Jesus and to be able to come to him in prayer at any time. And the fourth name that was given to him in this passage is Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, it means he's the czar of shalom, He's the one who gives this blessing, this well-being, this wholeness. He's the one who can heal the hurts in our heart, who can help us to overcome the things that have been struggles in the past. He can give us victory. It is the climactic name on the list because it's why he came. He came to bring peace with God. He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who's ever dealt with the problem that separates us from God, our sin. And whenever people turn to him and they open up their hearts to Jesus and they receive him as their Savior and Lord, he gives peace with God, peace in our heart and peace that can lead to relationships that are healed, to freedom and joy in our relationships with one another. That was the message that the angels brought that first Christmas night. When they came to the shepherds and they said, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, that today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. It is still good news. And all of the angels joined together in proclaiming glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Do you know his peace in your life? Have you asked Jesus 
to be your Savior and Lord and to forgive your sins. If you've never done that before, tonight could be the night when you begin a relationship with him. And I can't think of a greater gift that you could receive or a greater gift that you could give to Jesus than your heart. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to do that as I close this message in prayer. And if you'd like to open your heart to Christ and receive him as your Savior and Lord, would you pray these words after me in your own heart? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I need you. I thank you that you were willing to come to earth to be my Savior. And I open my heart and I ask you to come in and to forgive my sins and be my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to die for me and pay the penalty for my sins. And Jesus, I want to get to know you better. I want to follow you. I want to know your will for my life. Would you lead me and guide me? If you pray that prayer tonight, Jesus will take you at your word and you can begin that relationship with him and we want to encourage you to continue to grow in your walk with him and we want to help you to do that. And tonight, for all of us who know Jesus as Savior, we say thank you. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. And thank you that tonight we can meet to celebrate. We want to worship you in our homes. We want you to be at the center of our celebrations and times with family and friends, and we want others to know you too. So would you bless this holy night, this night on which you were born. In your name we pray, amen.